Okay, so today I'm in uh, Star Sports' Mayfair office again, Curzon Street, with Shane Revel. Thanks very much for flying over from Ireland especially, Shane. Thanks for the invite, Simon. Uh, you're very welcome. So, you're a professional punter. Yeah. And how, how long have you been one? Well, I'd be operating on my own last 17 years. Half of that would have been as a, sal a salaried consultant as well as punting. And the last eight to nine years, been on my own. Okay, now I, be, I became aware of you. You did a thing with Gerard, a.k.a. Icy. That's correct, on yeah. On Twitter. Um, obviously, I don't know everybody anyway, especially in Ireland. But have you, have you been sort of keeping your head down below the... Well, I wouldn't have a social media presence around here. That I'd, I'd operate within a close circle of friends and I'd have a few relationships um, with, with other professionals and that that I would speak to. But no, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be on online giving my opinion on or, on every race or putting up screenshots of dockets or so that would that wouldn't be my style at all. Um, so that's why in Ireland people would have known me by name. They probably would have walked by me on the street, and I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine anyone in the UK knew me at all, to be honest. So how, how come you suddenly decided to? Uh... Well, Garod was annoying me to do the, the Twitter spaces and I said to him one evening, I texted him and said, oh, sure, look, I was after listening to a couple of his previous ones and I enjoyed listening to the lads. So I said, sure, it can't do any harm. And that, that was basically it. We went on it, done it for an hour and he, he said it was well received. So I was happy enough. Once he was happy, I, I was happy. Did you get much feedback from it, from people? Yeah, a few people got in touch and said they enjoyed it. Um, so that was basically it. Not, not, not in massive or outrageous or anything, but people seem to receive it well. Okay, now I've, I've listened to that and I've tried not to, I've tried not to um, sort of ask, go cover the same ground, but obviously we want to find out about you and about what you, uh, and about what you do and how you make yeah. pay and stuff. Um, I listened with interest. It said that you worked in a betting shop for six years. Um, before getting a job in the Paddy Power trading room. Were, were you, have you... I had done three, three years previously in a, a betting shop on my uncle's in Newbridge, where I'm from, and I was on a, a training course, a fast training course for, um, uh, through the FAI. It was a back-to-work scheme, and just at, at that stage, I uh, saw the Paddy Power uh, position available. It was advertised, and I went for that, and I got that. I started working in the Paddy Power shop in Nace when I was 22. And were you chopping it off punting then? No. No, I would have been someone who had a keen interest in racing. And always, it, it, it always lent towards the Irish racing. I suppose the Curra race course, Nace race course, they're, they're only a stone's throw away from me, from where I, where I was uh, brought up. So... I just, I just always had a more of an inclination to lean towards the the Irish racing when I was having a bet. Okay, so were you, a, were you sort of going the extra yard with the form book then? Were you, were you no, no, I, I, I would never. Even my interest grew when I was working in the shops in in Powers. You're more exposed to it, and of course, then as well, you were seeing some clever money from the right people at different stages, which gave me more interest to follow them see how they were going and yeah it, it went for, it went from there but the english racing um apart from the from the better jumps racing in england 
that I was never really attracted to it. Okay, so where did you? Is it just literally the location of where you lived, being next to those great race courses that got you interested? Was there any sort of family? Well, I, we used to we used to um, a couple of my uncles, the uncle that I mentioned, um, ended up uh, running betting shops himself. Uh, a couple of my uncles and my my father, the older guy, late teens when I was in late teens, early twenties, he he went racing quite a good bit, so. We used to travel around, go to a few point-to-points, uh, go racing at the weekends. He, he, he enjoyed that, so I used to go along um, with him and my brother. Um, and of course, some of the tracks were so, so handy as well that you, you could walk to them, you know? Um, and, and that was basically it. And we had the dog track um, out in Ubridge. Used to go all the time. Actually, um, it was a, a mutual friend of ours, Des White, who... Oh, yeah. Who he used to uh, stand out at Newbridge Dog Track, and on, on the busy nights, charity nights when the Cox Cup was on, I'd do runner for him. And he was a hard man to work for um, back then, so he was. It was always my fault when the favourite one. <laughs> Des knows everyone. I've and funny enough, that. his brother Colm, who's a, a very prominent layer now in the ring, he was clerking, so between the three of us, we're, we're still going involved in the industry. I, I wouldn't have had. I wouldn't have had much money on that at the time now. <laughs> now so you went from being in the, working in a betting shop yeah. to getting on the trading floor with Paddy, but it was quite a jump. Yeah, well, I was taken by surprise, to be honest. Um, Paddy Power always used to seem to bring in graduates from college that had their business degrees, etc. They may not have uh, had any sort of background in racing. And... Uh, they came to approach me one day, Jimmy Mangan came out and saw me and asked me did I want to give it a go. They were, they were obviously trying to promote from within the company that made a decision. So I said I'd give it a go, but once that, if it didn't work out in six months that I could go back to the shop and, and that was fine. So I went in and I stayed there then. So what, what, what were you given to do when you got there? I, re I, remember, I remember when I got there first and I had to try and price a maiden hurdle in uh, in Navan. I'll never forget it. And it was 30 runners, and I think I came up at about 240%. I, I didn't want to lay anything, apparently. <laughs> so, but that, that always stuck in my mind. A very, a very, a very slow process, a, a grind. So it was to try and um, get to grips with it. But slowly, slowly but surely, got there, and you, got, you get more confident. And it's like everything else, you know, the more practice you put in, the luckier you get. Well, you say luckier and you say it was a slow grind, but you went from being in the betting shop, working your way through the Paddy Power trading room to leaving to be a professional punter in four years. That's right, yeah. Um, they, they allowed me to oversee the Irish racing side of it. I'd say after about, a, it would have taken me a year to feel confident enough, maybe for my boss to feel confident enough to, to leave me, to leave me at it, um, doing the racing. And then it, 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 just, it just went from there. I was just doing, pricing all the races uh, myself. And it was only around that time that we, back then, you were only pricing the handicaps and the better races. It was only in my time and powers that we start doing all the maidens. You know, it's, it's, you'd, be, you'd be quick to forget how much has changed in, in the last 15, 20 years, you know? And um, but sure, it was, on, it was only ourselves pricing them, and, and Labrooks really. Labrooks had a good presence 
on on the ground in in Ireland at the time, and uh, yeah, we used to, but I was pricing every meeting. It was just practice, and I just I, I just took to it and was having a few. But what wasn't wasn't a huge punter by by any stretch, and of course most of the firms that were pricing races they were they were probably just more or less you know copying and pasting what powers were putting up. So. It was hard. It was harder. You'd have a bet at your own price, you know. Was it just something you had a natural aptitude for? Did somebody sit you down and say, "Right, this is how you do it"? No, I would have. I, I would have always had a very good relationship with figures, maths in school, the usual um, percentages, all that. That 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 came easy to me. Once once I could understand how to break the races down. Do, do you know what I mean? I, it, the the mathematical side of it was never an issue, so that was always my advantage. But I um, I it was it was I always remember it as being s slow learning, was was how I remember it. Right, you said, do, do I know what you mean? And I don't. So how do you break a race down? Well, everyone will be different, and people maybe watching this won't agree. What? But if you just take a typical. 14 runner handicap in Dundalk, just just as a, a standard example. So I, I'd be I'd be looking at pricing that 121, one one and a half percent a runner. I know the firms take a lot more um, to start with overnight, but that gives me a head start on them. So I I just I'll put them all through the, the criteria that I I'm looking for flat race. I won't go looking for a favourite. I'll let the favourite come to me. I'll start with number one. I'll break them down, one to 14. Then I'll assess how the race is going to be run and how each horse's running style fits into the way the race is going to be run. They'll probably come together. Of course, you'll have your draw, etc. So I will price it and then there's three scenarios then. You, you either have not enough margin, you have too much, or you're bang on. So with each one, I have to tinker around with the prices then. And finally, and the, the most important, I'll go down through the prices and you just ask two questions for each horse. The first one is, if the, if the number one is three to one, and I would say, would I back him at three to one? And I, the, the answer has to be no. And then I would say, would you lay it at three to one if you had to? And the answer has to be yes. And for me, then that's my price. But the, you're getting your margin in it, about one and a half percent a runner, and then then ask that, those two questions, and then I'm happy. I'll file it and move on. Okay. So going back to when you were at Paddy Power, you decided to leave a secure, well, well I assume a reasonably well-paid job to become a professional punter. What? decided you to do that did you see other people making money no there was there was a sea of change at the time the, the old at the races um were starting to show all the irish meetings live and became pretty obvious very quickly that all the uk and offshore firms w wanted a piece of the action but they they were going to need people on their side and i i knew ian marmion from, from powers and he approached me because I would have been betting with them. So he had an idea of my, my business. And he just asked me would I be interested. And uh, it was an opportunity that 
I didn't want to turn down. L like when I took the chance to go into the, the trading room in the first place. Because if, 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 if they had never given me that chance, I'd still be working in the shops today now. Do you yeah. think you would have been able to accrue the skills to beat the bookies if you'd stayed in there? Would you have had that No, I, I wouldn't. You wouldn't have the time to do it for a start. I would have, been, I would have always been had a keen interest and would have always been a punter. So I would, but I, I would never have went down that road with it. But when I was in, when I was in the trading room, we had, um, we had a man from Scotland, Alec Farquhar. Uh, he'd be very well known. And uh, he had a consultant's role with us. And eventually they let me talk to him. So they did. And like, only for me being exposed to his workings and how he'd done things, I don't think I would have even, I, 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 I would put it down to him that I am where I am now. And is there any, anything that he did that you can share? He just, he, he, he just his work, the, the way he went about it and a lot of, I had to put my own twist on what he was, what he was showing me. Um, you could never replicate it. But it was just his, his, his approach to pricing a race and how he done it. And, and his reasons for opposing horses, they all stuck, stuck with me. And me putting my own twist on it, um, it was a massive help. I, 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 wouldn't, I'd, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got where I am without him. Okay, Shane, I was, uh, I was Googling you to see what stuff I could dig up from the murky past, and I came came across the Shane Revel Racing Consultants Handicap Hurdle back in 2007. So was that a, a service that you were providing to Victor Chan and others alongside your punting? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. And I remember the time I, I sponsored that race in the summer um, after I left, and it wasn't really got to do with anything to try and accrue new clients or that. I didn't know where the, where the whole thing was going. I was very new to it. And I just thought it was prudent to put it out there. And if anything came of it, so be it. And, and, and if it didn't, I wasn't worried. I, I, I had a good contract with Chandler's. I was very happy. Um, but it was more like drawing a line in the sand for me that I was, ha I was happy where I was and that's what I was going to do. Whether I, whether I was being paid by someone or going alone. And I just felt, it was the right thing to do to sponsor that race. It was actually quite funny. Um, I had said to the, the lads the day before, I said, you know, the, the whole day was costing us a few quid. So I said, I'm going to back a horse in, in our race to, to cover the day and see how it goes. So Philip Rotwell had a, had a horse in the race called What's Up Bob? And he'd ran well the first time in a handicap the previous day over two mile on, on slow ground. And uh, he was stepping up to two and a half on, on good ground. And uh, they put him in 16. So I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I said, that's good enough for me. So there was a, a man in England who was looking after all my business at the time. And I rang him and I said, work away with this anyway. So it was a six or seven to one shot by race time. And uh, it held on, I think it won a head. My horse called Carrick Galore. And uh, so we're in the, pre 
the presentation after. I'm in there with a couple of the lads and Philip takes the, the trophy off me. I said, geez, well done, Philip. He says, yeah, he says, he said, I wouldn't mind. I was going to have a few quid. And he said, Some, someone took the price. I said, I just said to him, are you keep nothing quiet these days, Philip? And I walked off. <laughs> so was that the only time you sponsored? Yeah. Um, as I say to you, it wasn't something... I was, I was turning into a big series of races or anything. It, it, was, it was just something I wanted to do. It wasn't something I had to do. I just, I just felt it was right to do something like that, to, that mark that I'd moved on, that's all. And did you get much business from it? There was, not directly from that, no. And I, did, I didn't expect it now, to, to be honest with you. But I did have a couple of smaller clients in Ireland, not there, a bit further down the line. It, it always seemed to just run smoothly like that. Yeah, well, and, um, for anybody that didn't listen to the IC thing, we'll get this information from that. You were accommodated, you mentioned that you um, knew Marmo. You are accommodated yeah. by Victor Chandler. So was that purely on a getting on as a reward for your information basis, or were they paying for your card? No, they, they I used to send them the tissue. That was separate. Um, I was still on the same contract, and uh, Marmo came to me one of the days and said, we'd be interested in looking after your business. Um, so obviously they were, they were getting it firsthand, and it was up to them then. What, they were guaranteeing me my bet, and then I don't know what they were doing for themselves. Probably trying to back to win twice as much, maybe. I, I don't know. But uh, I was very happy. It cut it out all the, the middlemen for me. I was on, and uh, they went and done their thing with it. And I, I, it worked for both of us. I, I, until it got to a stage where I think they were just finding it difficult to, to get on to, to where they wanted to be. But it was great while it lasted. It was really good. Yeah, I mean, because you mentioned earlier you, the guy that was sticking on for you in England, and you said, work away with this. And it's gone from 16 into 7. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't say that was all, all because of me now. But no, there is that snowball effect, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, but what sort of level would you be... You know, what, what sort of level would they I'm, let you get on that, Victor uh, Chandler? From, from memory, and I'll stand corrected, I, I think it was a bet to win three grand, maybe. In, in, or, in or around. I, I, I honestly don't remember, but that would be standard enough, I'd imagine, yeah. In around three grand. Okay, and were you were you helping other punters as well? Is it just purely bookmakers you were? At the, at the time, no, no, couple couple of bookmakers and um, the two other smaller clients in in Ireland were also bookmakers. Okay, now you've you've mentioned about pricing a race. Mm. Um, you've sort of answered it, but I ask everybody. Um, so what would be the most important thing you're looking for? Nobody can explain how they do it. It's just a summit they've got that they can... It's just a process. It's, it, everyone will have their own way of going about things. and Everyone will use different criteria. People will use their speed figures, ratings, etc. I, I don't use them because I, I wouldn't have the skill set to implement a speed figure into what the price the horse should be. So it's... It, it's of no use to me, but the stuff I do use, I understand, you know, and I prefer, I prefer pricing the flat racing, if I'm honest, because there's a lot more layers and strands to that. The, the jumps racing is much simpler. 
So yeah. it is um, from a tactical point of view, etc. All right. So I'm just trying to. Um, so you make something, got an eight to one chance. Mm. So it's going to get beat seven times. Yeah. What is the what's got to happen so that it can win? I suppose it's just um, it's just the conditions on the day. As I said to you earlier, you you might back horse A to win to win a race on Monday, and the fo the following Monday could be a similar lineup, but different track, could be a, just a different race setup, different draws. And you will have learned you'll you'll have learned something. Say if that horse gets beat the first seven days, they're all building blocks into the horse's overall profile. So each each time he's getting beaten, you, you're you're learning something about that horse as well. So on the day that he wins, you're you're putting all that new information together. So a horse that you wouldn't have backed maybe six months ago now becomes attractive under a certain set circumstances. Okay, now is it something if somebody 18 years old came to you and said, Shane, I'll pay you to teach me everything you know, is it a skill that you could teach somebody? You, I think it's, it, would be easy, it would be easy to give someone a base. And the reason being, I think, is because they would obviously be interested. It's not like trying to teach a pupil in school French or maths and they've no interest in it. If they're coming to you asking for their help, they're already interested. So you have their attention. And it's like everything else. To, to be good at anything, like you have to be interested in it and vice versa. They go hand in hand. You, know? it, you just won't be good at something you, you have no interest in, even if, this, even if the ability is there. You, so back to your question, sorry. You, you, you could give someone a base to work off. I think you could do that with anyone. But... Just talent separates the average from the good. You know, talent will get you good, but it's the application then that gives you the consistency that leads to longevity. And longevity separates the elite from the good. Okay. So it's very hard to know when someone is starting out in my opinion, how good they're going to be. You can see the talent there, and that'll get, them, that'll get them so far. And then it's up to them if they want to crunch it then. Okay, so when, when you were your first time at Paddy Powers and somebody asked you to price that race up and you priced it up to a massive margin? Oh, yeah, I thought about getting my jacket yeah. and, and just leaving, to be honest. I, I was mortified of it. I, and you know what? I probably didn't really understand even looking at it what I was trying to get the first time I was doing it, I, ah, it was, it, it was embarrassing. Uh, it took me, as I say to you, that's, but, that's but, all I can remember in there. It was, it was so hard starting out. But did somebody come then and say, look, Shane, this is where you bulged up there. This is what you should have done. This is what you've done wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Kieran Burke was, was a, a great help to me in the, in the trading room at the time. He, he would have been over me. He, he would have been essentially my boss and then Charles Lee was the trading manager so um, no I got I got good help off them and of course I was um, trying to learn as much as I could speaking Dalek and uh, it just went from there I, I was just I was just too nervous and afraid to make a mistake 
I had to learn not to be afraid to make a mistake. And you weren't afraid to ask questions? Well, I had no people. choice. I, I had no choice. Um, I wasn't going to learn anything otherwise. Okay, right. Going to your, your personal punting now. This is, once again, I got this from the, uh, the thing you did. You priced your races up 48 hours before. Yeah, the yeah. Declaration stage. Why did you, you do that? Well, it's a blank canvas, isn't it? Like, the declarations come out. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no white noise. And I, blank canvas, start out, go through my processes, price them up, and, and they're my, that's my base for every meeting. The rest will follow in the, in the next four, 48 hours. But that's what I'll work off then. So, so, so you're not swayed by anything else? Just your pure... Well, of course you're going to be, like, your information that goes around on the day of the meetings and all, but you can factor that in on the day or nearer the race, but I'll always go back to the prices to, before, before I make a decision on what I do. Okay, now just one more question I've got here, because I don't understand it at all. I've never been able to do it in a million years, but so you mentioned you need to give punters a correct price. Yeah. Um, so what makes something 300 to one and someone else 200 to one? Well, ver, ver, there'd be only about 0.15% or something in the difference of those prices. I know, but, but there must be something that makes you think No, I No, I'd say it'd be easier to tell you why something would be 25s rather than 100s. I, I think when you're two and 300 to one, I think you wouldn't have much argument if they were both 500. You know that's yeah. you know you. So it's going to take an act of God for either of them to win. Yeah, I I think I think if there was a slight difference in that, it might just come down to maybe the jockey or maybe possibly SPs that went off in previous races. So, but that'd be minute. You know, um, it could just come down to connections. But I think the difference between a twenty-five to one shot and a hundred to one shot. Is, is obvious enough, but, but it would just be their profile and, again, where the horses are coming from and what stage they're at. Like the 100 to 1 shot is probably going to be more exposed than the 25 to 1 shot. They might have similar ability, but you won't find that out for maybe another three or four runs. So you can't be, you can't be going 100 to 1 about a horse that you don't know enough about. Okay, would I mean is the the, the worry that the price might change well, the go, plans it, of the of the, the connection? It would depend. It would depend on the race. Like if it's a horse has only ran twice, and he's having a third run, and it's maiden hurdle, and he's shown on, there probably will be two hundred to one. You know, but I I'm, I'm saying maybe horses just starting out in handicaps or whatever. You're not you're not going to put them in a hundred to one, because the the way you look at it is. If you're, if you're going to lay it, you'll lay 25 about certain horses. There's no need to be 100. Okay, Shane, I don't want to labour the point here, but just hypothetically, you think maybe connections, obviously they're always trying for their lives anyway, but do you think connections might change their plans if you price something up 200 to 1? Then they might think, oh, hang on a minute. That's a bit yeah, too definitely, big. yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, it's, uh, I think it's likely. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no doubt that they are trainers and jockeys tend to know their own horses. 
they don't they don't tend to know the, the fields and i i remember that from going back when i used to help johnny uh, years ago when he was uh, riding he was a brilliant jockey but the greatest optimist of all time thought he was going to go out and ride a five and six timer every day but o over over time we'd speak about the racing and obviously i was learning off him but but he was he'd be learning off you too and after a while he was forming his own opinion about races just from the exposure to the way we we spoke so he was he became more um probably understanding of prices and expectation and that so going back to what you were saying yeah he he would often say to me i have no chance there i'm 20 to 1 and i would say no you do have a chance he was already thinking it's 20 to 1 i don't have a chance so i think connections can definitely be influenced by the prices the horses are put in i'm not saying it'll it'll change their mind about what they do but it will definitely change their their expectations okay now would you would you say that the skill to really accurately price a race up is all you need to win punting it would be a massive part of how i operate um, as I, I, I have said before, I, there, people can have a look at a race and, and spot a price that, that's wrong. I, I could probably do the same too, but I don't think I'd be able to do it long term for profit. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be that good. And my other, the, the other thing I always fall back on is that I wouldn't be able, even if I knew a horse was overpriced, after just looking at the race, I couldn't put my hand on my heart and tell you it was a two to one or a three to one shot until I priced all the horses. Because how do you get, I don't know how you get to that, that, that finite point of knowing what price you should be on your tissue until you've priced all the horses. I think there's a, a little element, for me there'd be an element of guesswork attached to it and that wouldn't, that wouldn't suit me, I'd have to, I wouldn't have a bet on a race unless I priced it. That, so for me, it's a massive part, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's a compulsory for a lot of people out there. All right, now, would you, so would you get involved with, you, you made some of a two to one chance and it was 11 to 10, would you get stuck into laying it? No, I'd very, very rarely lay a horse where, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather back two or three horses against it and but i i would say i wouldn't win money laying horses and it's 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 not in me i don't enjoy it if i was laying horses on a regular basis i'd say i'd be more relieved than happy if they got beat um and that funny at, at christmas i i don't know when i i laid a horse for a few quid and i i laid marine national in the beginner's chase at leperstown uh at four to nine and I thought I, I, I thought I was a great lad until he jumped the first two, and uh, I knew my money was was done before he jumped the third. So that put me back in my box laying horses, and it'll be a while before I, I step in again. Now I'm told that you uh, definitely have your ear to the ground in Ireland, and probably the best connected punter. Would that be right? I was surprised when Garrod said that, to be honest. But maybe he's in a better position to judge that than I am. Um, I would speak to a few racing professionals, um, n not so much over jumps. I think mainly because of 
more flat racing orientated where I grew up um, would have been the people I would have met uh, over the years and the few horses that we had in training um, were, on, were, were basically on the flat as well. Um, so look, I'm, I'm in the game 20, just 21 years now. I mean, you would have to be connected to some degree. And I think as well, all those relationships, they're, they're transactional. They're not because we're all great friends. You know, we help each other where they might come on to you and give you a nugget of information about a horse that's very well fancied, but in turn they'll be saying, what do you think of it? So I'm saying, thanks for that. And I appreciate it. I say, whatever, then we'll be, but it would be, it would be based on the price of the horse I would be telling them, not whether I thought it would win or lose. And, and that's what they expect off me, I, I'd imagine. They're, they're already going to back it. So I think maybe sometimes they just like to have it confirmed and then maybe they might have a few extra quid on it. I don't know their business, but that'd be where the connections would come, knowing people and that. I, I think we help each other. It's not that people are annoying me for information or anything. It doesn't work like that. Okay, you used the phrase white noise earlier. Um, when there's none of it yeah. before you price up. Now, is all this stuff that comes to you too much white noise, and is it any of it actually valuable to you for your own personal Every, Everything is valuable. It doesn't mean you have to act on it. Um, but all, all the information is valuable, and you would also um, have to weigh it up with the source where it came from. You know, it could be second-hand information. It could be straight from the horse's mouth at times. So... You, you, you take it all on board and make a decision then on what you want to do based on the price that it is. But it wouldn't, I don't mind, I don't mind um, too much information. I'm happy to, because you can always, you can always use it again down the line. You don't have to act on it on the day. It's useful to put in the memory bank going forward, you know, um, it's, 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 it can always be helpful uh, down the line. Okay, so you're, you're pricing races and you're making a living successfully for nearly two decades back in horses. So you've got to believe that your prices are right. With the, with the, the fact that three people that you respect their opinion of have rung you up and told you the same horse, then be, you know, then explain why there's a drift on maybe the one you fancy and a shortening of the other one. You have to factor that in. I, I would always be very balanced. I, I wouldn't, like, sure, I, just because I, I, have to, I have to believe the prices are right, but I know in my heart a lot of them aren't. You, you know, but you, you have to have something to work off. And it stood to me till now, so I, I won't change that. But you mean if, if, if they were telling me it, wouldn't, it wasn't fancied? Well, no, I mean, if, if you... The, there was something that maybe it said. Oh, there was, dr it was drifting. Was, everybody was tip, tipping you the same horse. Three or four different people told you it, and oh, then it's shortening up. And it's, n no, no, I, I, I wouldn't back it. No, if it was under, if it was under my tissue price, you mean? Well, would it then make sense to you? You could say, ah, well, that move is because everybody in the world thinks it's they've been. Yeah, tipped I, I'd always respect. I, I respect anyone's opinion, and yeah, you have to, you have to listen to it. Um, as I said, it doesn't mean you have to act on it. But there must be some the people's time. opinion that you respect more than others. So it, there must be sometimes somebody's name comes up, you must think, oh, leave me out. 
I, I don't, um, I wouldn't talk to anyone now in the game that does what I do. You know, say other professional punters. I wouldn't have any dealings with, with anyone in that, in that line of work. Um, I would speak to some people that would, would have cards, lads that maybe have a few bets for me, etc. So I might, we might run through the car together and exchange opinions and that and you, you you do respect that so you do but if they come at you with something you might have a, a counter argument or you might agree with them but it will come back to what price the horse is if, if, you, if you act on it or not okay so when you're when you're pricing a race do you have to employ some sort of lateral thinking when there's some shrewd yards taking part when you when you do your forty eight hours, you think ah. No, I I think on a daily basis you you are using your intuition at at all at all levels, you know. Um, I. No, I. You see, when people say, shrewd yards, they're probably thinking about those mid middle tier, yards, that have reputations for for landing a, a gamble, and we all know who they are. So, you know. You're not reinventing the wheel, thinking, thinking that stuff. But if you think about it, even the yards you would respect at that level, how, how many times are they actually backing their horses? It's very rare. Have you spotted patterns when you're doing your form study? I mean, have you spotted patterns which you've sort of realised? Oh, is it like a... Uh, it, it could be. There's, just, there's many different criteria that... Um, you take into account, you, you know, on, on the profile of the horse, you, where, where it ran previously, the, you know, are they stepping it up in trip? Is headgear going back on? Is it a track it's won at before? So you, you, you like the, the ducks to be in a row. And this, of course, then you're thinking about who's training it and who they've got to ride it. And, and you, go, you, you go from there. You have to respect those yards um, at all times. But there's two layers to that as well, is where sometimes there's money comes from, but it's yet to be confirmed if it's the right money. It could be just other people taking, taking a chance, getting in, getting in ahead of them. I, I, I tend to just let all that stuff play out and, and not get involved. I know it's uh, a, big dip, a bit Dick Francis and stuff, but everybody thinks there's a plot in every race. I mean, how many... How many Percent, well, first of all, do you ever have on your card back this if there's money for it? Or do you, or as what you were saying previously, does it not necessarily mean anything? Well, there, there's very, very few plot horses. There's a big difference between horses being targeted at races and a plot horse. A plot horse, to me, is a horse whose true ability is vigorously hidden on a number of occasions with, with only... With, with only one reason for that, to pull off a, a gamble at big prices. Horses are targeted at races from, from the lower level trainers to the top trainers every day of the week with nothing in mind other than trying to win a race. And they might have their, their few pound on, but it, it, won't, it, it won't shake the earth. But the plot horse, if you go back to the, the horse that won in Downpatrick last August, Anyway, I think it was like 25 to 1 the night before. Like, someone thought 
that was a good price of five to four when they were lining up. Hadn't shown enough to justify. Like, you could understand why people might back the horse, yeah, but someone still thought five to four was a good price jumping off. That's a plot, and 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 one like it, but the people that are that go down that road. They need, a, they need the skill and the patience to find the horse, find the opportunity, and then they need serious financial power to follow through. So they do. To, to, pu to pull off a gamble uh, that extreme. That's a plot. The, a horse having a, a quiet run, first time out, being stepped up in trip with, with putting on a pair of blinkers, that's a horse that's targeted at a race. There, to me, there's a massive difference. Yeah, so the first one happens so infrequently, it doesn't really bother yeah. you. And the no. second one, you would spot, possibly, anyway. Yeah, I, I, they haven't done their job right if you, if you spot the plot horse. They, they've messed up if you spot it, because otherwise you're guessing. You can, you, can, you can have a guess if you want, you know, if something catches your eye and that. But generally speaking... Those plot horses, they're, they're very well hidden. The, tar the horses that are targeted at races are much easier to find because you're, you're building it up on their profile. So yeah, you, you can always go back to their profile. That's how you'll find them. But if, if I'm spotting or the next guy is spotting the plot horse, they've done something wrong. All right, Shane. Now, you've got to, you're, you've, you got your prices. Would you follow them over a cliff when punting? If you make something seven to two, and at the off it's a ten to one chance, do you get your do you get your money out and have more on, or do you think? Oh. I I would always have something extra on, ju just in case. And I, I I don't have figures now to to back up if I'm winning or losing off doing something like that. But no. My, my natural instinct would be to to have a, have a few quid on it at the off, yeah. And the fact that somebody like you is purely you don't listen to anybody else's rumours. We listen to them, but you don't. Of course, them. I would take everything on board. Yeah, you take it on board. But so the fact that you studying the form book and doing your own prices and betting accordingly, you must it must be straight, mustn't it? But largely, for, for you to be able to make a living. Yeah, I think you have to play with a straight bat. Yeah. So you, you assume it's all. So is so the drift could be for any reason at all. It doesn't mean it's skullduggery. So you have to believe that it's straight and that they don't. Every, know. Everyone's look. Every, everyone's opinion is in the pot. Yeah. Two minutes before the off. Obviously, if I've priced her seven to two and it's ten to one, I'm wrong. But they might be wrong as well. The truth might be somewhere in the middle. So I'm still getting a fair price. Yeah. I mean, okay. So if you've. Um You've made something in seven to two chance. Mm. We'll stick with that price. Yep. Um, do you give yourself any leeway? So if it was 11 to four, three to one, would it be a no bet? I, I wouldn't. I, if I met something seven to two, I, I wouldn't back it at four to one. Never mind the price I met it or anything shorter. Not a chance. No, so. Oh, that, that would kill me. If, and if, if, if I'd done that and the, and the horse got beat, I, I'd, I'd be talking to myself. I'd be so disappointed in myself. But 
If, if it won, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. Okay, so but if it so you, you made it a seven to two chance, you didn't back it because it was five to two, and it won. Would you then be wondering why you got the pricing wrong? Do you sort of do that to yourself? No, no, I, that that wouldn't. Because they say that like the Betfair now makes it the real price. Yeah, yeah. So would you think that they got the market got it wrong? It was still a four to one chance. Or oh no, I I would have full respect for for the market, and it, like you have to you have to take into account. Um, what's going on at the off but as i said to you i'm just one 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 voice in a crowded room two minutes before the off you know so you don't get heard but if everyone's shouting the same thing they'll hear you yeah but so if everyone's on my if everyone is if everyone's on the same page as me then the price is, is going to come down if they're not no one's going to listen to you it's going to take a walk Okay, so do you, do you still sell your card these days? No. no. And you, you already said you don't get your head together with other professionals. Well, you listen to your friends, but you don't... You don't there'd, be, to... there'd be people that... Uh, they're, not, they're not professional gamblers. They're people within the game that have a vested interest and uh, they'd ring you for, for your opinion on certain things and it'd just be a... you know, sharing of views on, on certain races. Um, but no, but I, I would send um, the lads out a message on, on WhatsApp in the morning. The, the night before, I would, as a professional courtesy, I'd always send my card to the people that moved the money for me. So they have it the night before. They don't do anything with it, so they don't. So but I think it's a courtesy that you should afford people to help you. You've got a trusted group of yeah. people. There. Yeah, they, I trust them 100%, yeah. Okay, so we get down to the nitty-gritty practicalities of this then. So how do you manage to get on, especially in the early markets? I have a, a facility um, that I can get on to win decent money the night before. And I'm happy, I'm happy to, to do that because it goes back to what you were saying earlier. It's before you start hearing things. So I, I'm just... I'm just backing myself the night before. And maybe come three o'clock the next day, there are bets you may not want to have had, had on, given a chance of whatever may transpire. But I, I'm, I'm happy to roll the dice the, the night before um, off, off the tissue that I've done the previous day. Is, it, is that facility, I obviously don't expect you to tell us what it is, no. but is that a reciprocal basis that they get your, mark, your marks and they... They, not, not as such. They, they would uh, receive my card well in advance and with information on it that I haven't acted on yet either. I, I think that's more than fair that, that I should do that for them. So a couple of people get it the night before and they, they, they use it for themselves the next day. Okay, so would you um, pick, pick any winners? Do you sort of watch every video, make notes? I'd watch all the racing. Uh, I'm usually in the office anyway, so I get to see most of it live. If not, I'd watch it back whenever I was I was home. But uh, I don't take any notes. No. No, so it's just all up there. Um, I, I do you know what it is? It's it's just the repetition of it. As I said to you earlier, Horsecraft seven or eight runs. You you have you have it in your mind. You have it in your mind um, about what they are. That might change slightly with another three or four runs under their belt. So even, that's why I'll always check the horse in the race every day because 
you always just learn something something different about them and I, I like horses to have a good few runs before I'd make a real judgment on them too or to be confident in your judgment because I remember one day there was um, an interview on, on TV and Martin Pipe was being interviewed and the guy who was interviewing him said it was say it was a two mile hurdle and he said oh he said he got past two of them went by him on the run and he said he, didn't, he obviously didn't stay he said that horse wants three mile he said visually he said there's very little difference between between being outstayed and outpaced and there's something that always stuck with me not to make a, a rash judgment on a horse visually um, and it has transpired horses that you didn't think were getting home over a mile ended up winning good good handicaps over a mile six and two mile on the flat in, in, in my time it was something that always stuck with me what Martin Pipe said that day now how many races a day you know rough on average would you get involved with betting it would purely depend on the prices that are there i could i could have a bet in every if the prices dictated it i'd have a bet in every race and i'd be happy to have no bet if the prices weren't there and i couldn't tell i would say on average if your your average eight race card i would say five four to five i'd say is, would be a ballpark ballpark figure um but as regards staking and that on the card if if i thought it was four good bets or five good bets i'll back them all accordingly and if i just think they're they're on the edge i'll reduce it so i will so everything on its merits and so you there's no races that you go through and just put a line through that even uh, oh i i've i would put a lot the meetings on today there's a line went through five of the eight races so okay so you talked about um your staking so how do you manage your staking have you got like a, a in your head staking plan it would boil down to sometimes you know there you're you're back in a, a horse of three to one that you've made twos and and you like it you think it, it, it might draw but there's other times you're back in a horse at three to one that you've made twos but you really fancy it it's a, I, I think it goes back to a gut feel and intuition to, to when two similar cases like that uh, with the where the pricing is the same might lead you to having maybe a bit more on on one of them um but it would come down to the price difference and the price of the horse so generally speaking if you're talking a horse at 10 or 12 to 1 that you want to be with you're you're probably giving yourself an opportunity to to win three to four grand on, on say ballpark and and the reason that that might seem an awful lot to some people and it might seem like a wasted opportunity to others but what i have to bear in mind is and it stood to me over the years is that for the longevity of it i can't be asking some some guy to, to have me 800 each way at 12s that 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 relationship is not going to last he's going to come back to you and say he, he can't get those bets and you're burnt so yeah so yeah because i'm i'm pricing all the cards and i'll i'll play any race from a nursery to a hunter chase I'll, you know I, i'm comfortable doing that i have enough opportunities i mean in what other in what other industry could you give yourself a chance four or five times a day 
to win three or four grand with the odds in your favour. There's, n there's no other place I would get that opportunity. So we talk about winning because you obviously do win because you're a professional punter, but I'm assuming that you have losing runs the same as everybody else. Yeah. What, how do you deal with them mentally? Not so bad now these, these days. I've learned to go easier on myself. Um, I'd say years ago when you were, you were getting going and that and maybe you just wouldn't have had the, the experience or the, the same confidence in yourself you, you'd be hard on yourself, but you have to be consistent. You, there, there's no point, if I have a bad day today, there's, there's, there's no point me sitting down for three or four hours tonight, moaning and being tough on myself, when I'm going to get up tomorrow and do it again. You know, there's, it's, it, I've, learned, I've learned to live with it. Like I, the beginning of 2021, I definitely, the worst run I'd ever been on. It was, like, it was like someone turned the lights off on January the 1st, everything was fine. And it lasted 10 or 11 weeks. And it didn't turn until the week at Cheltenham. Oh, it wasn't at Cheltenham, it was down Royal on the tours at St. Patrick's Day. I had a big touch that day and it, it switched. But those 10 or 11 weeks I, were character building now. Um, and I, I, I take comfort in the fact that, that I, I came through that period. I'll probably, I'm, I'll probably be okay mentally going forward with it. But that was the worst run I ever endured. So it was, it was tough. And do you keep your betting money separate from your life money? No, I never. And, and you know, it's, it's something I probably should have done when I started. But sure, I... I just, I, I had the bottom line. I knew, I knew what I had starting out. That was my betting bank, wh what I had starting. I had, a I had a small tank and a big mortgage, so I did. So it wasn't ideal at the time, but we, we, we gave it a go. The mortgage didn't count at the time. I didn't see that as a, as a, a minus at all. It was, it was what I had sitting in the bank that mattered. So you don't mind putting yourself under a bit of pressure then? Well, it was, I always, I always at the time going back, I always, probably had the option of going back into the trading side of things, but I wanted to give it a go. So I, I, put, I wouldn't do it now. I think I was naive at the times having a go like that, but uh, I'm glad I did. All right, Shane, finally, what is the most important thing that a losing punter should take on board if they want to stop being a losing punter? It, I suppose it, it, it depends what sort of bet, betting trail they have. Like, are they spreading it amongst five or six sports. Well, the, the obvious thing to say then is you have to try and find where you're getting your few pound and show up the losers and, and bin them. It, it's obvious. It, it, that, it, if it was just a matter of someone betting horse racing, there's no, there's no clear and obvious answer. I think you would need to take stock and account of the bets you're having and the only comfort you would have is, are you beating the, the Betfair starting price? Because if, you, if you're losing on a regular or long-term basis and you're not getting the prices at the same time, it's, go, it's going to be difficult. But there is definitely, there'll be, there'll be green shoots of hope. If, if you're getting the better of the SP, it's, it can just be a phase. So it can, but 
you really need to be beating that SP to, to give yourself a chance. Great stuff. Great advice there, Shane Revel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon.